Please turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and this afternoon we're only going to be focusing on the first eight verses, uh, but we're going to read verses 1 through 11 as our scripture reading. So John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And this is Jesus addressing his disciples in what is known as uh, just following the upper room discourse. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in him, in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So we're going to take a look at this vivid picture that Jesus paints of the vine and the branches. Now this is not a parable in the sense of the stories that we hear. The vineyard motif is a common thing that Jesus uses in his parables. This is a little bit different. There is no plot in this parable. It is a sustained metaphor. Jesus saying that he is the true vine and there is a connection between the vine and the branches and the branches and the fruit. All of this is, uh, is the work of God and all of this as we see in the, in the last, uh, near the last verse there, all of this uh, brings glory to God the Father. The vine dresser, which is God, the, the one who looks after the vine, the vine, which is Jesus, the branches, which are the saints or the wannabe saints, and the fruit, which we'll discuss later, the, the nature of that fruit. So we're going to... Uh, just uh, this is going to be a very simple message. I just I want to go um, fairly quickly through these points. I, I don't think that there is a need for a lot of complicating um, lingo in between here. Um, I would like you to understand that just because Jesus uses the image of a vine and branches, that not everything has an exact parallel. There is a general picture of dependence and of uh, sustenance that is found in Christ and that the hallmark of the believer 
is that the believer depends upon Jesus for everything and knows it, and that there is this dynamic life flowing from the, the vine through the branches that produces fruit. This, uh, this power, um, the, the life, the energy that produces this fruit uh, is something that comes through the Word of God uh, and or by, from the Spirit of God through the Word of God. All right, so let's begin. Let's go and this passage starts with Jesus, so let's start with him. And the first point that I'd like to address is that the true vine is planted. The true vine, Jesus Christ, was uh, planted in this earth, was given a foothold in this earth by God the Father in what we call the incarnation. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. The true vine is emblematic of all that man cannot do on his own. Adam failed. Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Israel failed when given specific laws and commandments to keep. Israel failed again and again. And that passage we read from Psalm 80, the question is, or the scenario is that God seems to have abandoned his vine, Israel. And other nations are coming in and invading. And David's prayer is that the God of hosts, that our God will look down and see and regard this vine and rescue them. The only rescue that is proposed in the passage is really that Jesus, that the Son of Man, the Son of His right hand, whom He has made strong for Himself, whom God has made strong for Himself, that He is their life, He is their hope, He is their salvation. In Adam, all die. In Jacob, all die. In any of us here, if any of us here were to... uh, Strive for our own salvation um, independently of the vine, independently of Jesus Christ, we would wither and perish and ultimately be thrown into to the fire. So Jesus is the true vine that is planted. He is the replacement for the failure of human striving in human righteousness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. However, we are justified when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So I just want to read again under this first point, which is summed up in, in the phrase from the first verse here, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The Father is the one who... Uh, makes sure that the, the vine is producing fruit as it should. The vine is never in jeopardy. The vine is perfect. However, there tends to be um, branches that don't belong there. I don't know how they get there. This is why you can't make everything absolutely um, applicable to a, an actual vine. 
There are branches on this vine that don't bear fruit. And it's not because the vine is defective in any way. It is they just do not bear fruit. They do not belong. They are in the vine and that they are connected. They are, um, they are visibly part of the vine. But there is no evidence of life. There is no fruitfulness. So I'm going to read again just part of the, the psalm that we read earlier, starting at verse 8. And it starts off talking about Israel. You brought the vine out of Egypt, and you drove out the nations and planted it. So God was very much involved in the, the uh, rescue of Israel, the exodus from Egypt, and in establishing them as a nation which was to be a light to the nations. And, uh, and his, the apple of his eye, his glory, Israel is called Israel my glory. So he cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. In other words, Israel had a time of tremendous influence. Um, it certainly did up until Solomon. And after that, the kingdom was divided and lost much of its influence. Um, continuing, it sent out its branches to the river and its root, it shoots to, uh, branches to the sea and it shoots to the river, uh, meaning the Euphrates River. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Well, David actually knows the answer to this question. It is sin, it is idolatry, it is rebellion against God. This is why God disciplines Israel. Then he turns to the Lord, he says, uh, and he calls for the Lord to turn to them. Um, there are many prophetic ways of saying this, but return to me and I will return to you. Uh, it's the idea of repentance. So here the psalmist is saying, I want to, I am repenting, but now, Lord, please turn to us. Uh, in verse 14 says, Turn again, O God of, God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, Israel, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made, son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. So here is David's understanding that God has established a covenant with Israel and that it looks like Israel is about to be destroyed. And he is reminding the Lord that he has made these promises and he is not going to let her perish. And then there is this, and I don't think it's explicit, I don't think this is easy to see, but there is this key phrase here, the Son of Man, which is a title. It is a messianic cue. It is, it is something when we see this, more times than not, it is referring to Jesus Christ. So it says in verse 17, But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Uh, Jesus as a man, of course, he grew with wisdom and stature, and he received Everything that he said and did, he received it from the Father. He made himself, he humbled himself, and was found in fashion as a man. He was, he was physically no better than any other man. He, was, uh, he suffered uh, fatigue and weariness. 
He had emotions. And, and yet he never sinned. He lived perfectly as a man. And the Lord strengthened him. He was dependent upon the Lord for his strength. Upon the Father. Though in himself, as in his divine nature, he had unlimited strength. He was, he, there was, uh, uh, he, he, had, he had power, which you see it come out every now and then. You know, when he says, I am. And the guards have come to arrest and fall on their backs. There is tremendous power here. And yet it is... Uh, it is uh, swaddled, as it were. It is kept within the bounds of, of what we have as we depend upon the Lord. And it says in verse 18, Then shall we turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. So it is in this vine, in this true vine, where the hope of Israel is, it is also where our hope is. There is no other way, there is no other life to be found than the life that is found in Jesus Christ. Um, and we are going to see how that comes to us through the Word of God, through the testimony of Jesus, and how the Spirit uses the Word of God to initiate life in people who would have no life of their own. Okay, so the first point there is that the true vine is planted. Now, there, I want you to get used to the, the categorization of true and false. Everything in this passage is either true or false. So there is a true vine, and there's only one true vine. I, I suppose the false vine that is not really mentioned in the passage, the false vine would be Israel or, or any other... Um, human uh, endeavor, but there are true branches and false branches. There are true disciples and false disciples. Um, Jesus uses other terms. There are sheep and goats. There are weeds and tares. If you look in other parts of the Bible, well, we're going to see in verse 2 here, the first part of verse 2, that false branches are purged. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That means if a branch doesn't belong, it is not just trimmed a little, it is completely removed. There won't be anyone at the gate of heaven who is not really and truly born again. The book, called the Lamb's Book of Life, will be opened and everyone whose name is not in that book will receive no entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So every branch, it says, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, we heard something about, like, similar to this in Hebrews, didn't we? When those who have tasted of the heavenly gift those who are within the, the fellowship of the church and, and they, for all intents and purposes, they seem to be genuine believers. They have some sort of residual effect of God's grace. They seem to be growing. And then they depart. Then they turn back. Maybe they go back to the old ways and they no longer 
look at Christ as all that they need. And they fall away. They apostatize. They, they fall away. Those branches, from the human perspective, they appear to be in Christ. But there are branches in Christ, quotation marks, that are not in Christ. There, are, there is a, a false profession. There is a false assurance of salvation. And those branches clearly in this passage are purged. And that's going to be even more evident as we progress through the text. So the true vine is planted. False branches are purged. True branches are pruned. There's a big difference between purging and pruning. The object, or the end result of purging is that the dead wood is cut off and destroyed. The goal of pruning is that the live wood would be cut in the, the proper place so that the energy and the, the life that is coming through that can be channeled to where more fruit can be produced. So true branches are pruned. Every branch, second part of verse 2 here, every branch that bears fruit, he, that is the gardener, that's God the Father, prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And then Jesus adds this uh, aside to his disciples who are in his presence there. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, what does it mean already clean? Well, if I'm thinking, if you're, if you're working in your garden or you're, you're working in, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're doctoring the, the trees and you're trying to make sure that they grow properly, uh, there might be a blight on the tree. There might be something, uh, an infection or you, you that white stuff on your, your cherry trees or whatever and you've got to, you've got to cut, cut it off and you have to be kind of ruthless doing that. Um, so maybe Jesus means that they have been cleansed of their sin. Remember when uh, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and Peter didn't want his feet washed. Um, he talked about, Jesus says, well, if you've had a, a bath, if you washed your, your, your feet, your head and your body, the only thing that needs to be left is your feet. And he said, you are clean, but not every one of you. So there was one, there was a son of perdition, Judas, who was not clean. He was not, uh, he was not sanctified. He was not justified. The word of God, the word of Christ had not taken root in him. Jesus physically washed his feet just as he did all the disciples' feet, but there was no inward transformation. There was no new heart there. Um, the, there was no effectual calling. Judas had responded to the general call. He had, he had seen something attractive about Jesus. He had followed along. He had participated. He was he masqueraded to the extent that he was trusted with all of the funds that came in for all of the disciples. And, and then he skimmed off that behind their back. But Judas, um, he was an, an imposter. And he was purged. Peter was pruned. Peter, as we studied last week, Peter passed the love test. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times. And I, I really believe that uh, the, 
what precedes that of Jesus breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit, that this is, this is the thing that makes the difference. Um, it's a picture of regeneration. When Peter had received the Holy Spirit, he then could effectively proclaim his love for Jesus. In his flesh, he could never do that. His flesh said, I'll die for you, Lord. In reality, when push came to shove, he ran in fear, as the other disciples did. They were scattered when Jesus was to be crucified. So true branches are pruned. I think if you're a believer in Jesus, I think you understand what this purging is all about, or what this pruning is all about, pardon me. You understand that there are pursuits, there are um, just different directions that you can go in your life where they might not even be wrong, they might not even be sinful, but they are a diversion and your energy and your attention is going somewhere other than where God would have it go and it affects your fruitfulness. It affects your productivity as a believer. You're not um, inclined to spend that time studying the Word of God. You're less inclined to be taking His commandments seriously because you're not hearing from Him. Um, Your love for Him grows cold because your love for other things is increasing. These are realities that we have to face as Christians. We need to be pruned. We need a a good synonym for pruning is discipline. If you turn with me, we've studied this passage very recently in in Hebrews. But if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, there is some very relevant um, teaching here about, it's about discipline. And there is a connection with pruning. Let's look at verse 7, Hebrews chapter 12. It is for discipline that you you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? What branch is there, what true branch is there that the gardener does not prune? Uh, If you are left without discipline in which we all have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Notice what Jesus says in this passage. Every, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. There is no such thing as a branch that escapes pruning. There is no such thing as a son or daughter who escapes discipline. And look, look what else it says about discipline. For the moment, all discipline, in Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
So there is a, there's almost a mixing of metaphors, but it's the same concept. Pruning, discipline. This is uh, the mark of God's faithfulness as a gardener, and it is very different than purging. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no purging. There is no cutting off. There is no throwing into the fire for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans chapter 8 tells us how those who are in Christ Jesus are those who walk in the Spirit. Those who are assured by the Spirit of their sonship. All right. Now, true branches are pruned. There is also another attribute of true, true branches. True branches persevere. What does persevere mean? Pardon? Endure hardship? For, for sure. Endure hardship. Um, true branches are not going to be um, uh, removed for any reason. They're not going to be blown away. Um, an example of perseverance seems to be the, the two trees that Jeremiah, or Psalm 1, talks about. The, the man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and so forth. He is like a tree planted by the water. And there is, when, when drought comes, when heat comes, that tree remains. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. There is no endurance for those who are not rooted by the stream. Or, to use our metaphor, to use Christ's words here, who are not abiding in the vine. Now, the reason I'm talking about here, the fourth point about true branches persevering is the word abide that occurs now and keeps occurring through the rest of this text. Abide in me. Abide really means remain. Be fixed. Remain in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide or remain in me. So there is this sense of permanent abiding. Now, there is a command to abide. And when you really think about it, what does a, what does a branch have to do with its abiding? Uh, it, it's sort of neutral in this respect. But, you know, some people, they, they like to think of the Christian life as, um, and I don't, want to, I don't want to blur any distinctions here, but as a Christian life is, you know how crystals grow? And the crystal just, it, it basically, it's its own, um, its own chemical properties are propagated. There is no life there. There is no back and forth there. It's just a, it's just a chemical, um, inorganic um, growing. A vine grows much differently and a plant goes, grows much differently. There is real life there. There are attributes of the branch that are, um, they are derived from the vine, but they are unique, and there is fruit that that has come from that. Uh, so even though the vine, the, the branch receives all of its life, all of its nourishment, all of its DNA, whatever you want to call it, it receives all of this from the vine, um, it's, it's a living thing. It is, and um, what I'm saying here is when Jesus says abide in me of course the sustaining power, the remaining power, the persevering power 
it is God's. God is the one, God is the supplier of all of this life. But he still says to his people, because they are not dead things, they are not crystals. They're not inorganic outgrowths of God that have no will. It's really saying, choose continually to abide in me. As believers, we can consciously choose to obey Jesus. We can consciously choose to worship him. And that is real obedience and real worship. If a person outside of the vine tries to worship, there is, there is no connection with the vine there. All of the righteousness is as filthy rags. So there is, a, there is though, though all the life comes from Jesus, though all of the truth or all of the nourishment comes from Jesus, there is a participation of the branch with the vine. This is, this is, the salvation is not mutual, but the participation and the involvement is uh, there. You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 he uses a different plant. He talks about an olive branch. And he says, he talks about the Israel being cut off from the olive branch. And then the Gentiles being grafted in. And it says to the Gentiles, do not be arrogant against the branches. If God cut off Israel, then God could cut you off too. And if God can graft you in, he's capable of grafting the branches that have already been cut off, of putting them back in. So, what, what he's saying is, in that passage in Romans chapter 9, is remain in me, and don't be arrogant about it. Um, Understand that this is this is grace, and if if it were not for grace, if it were not for the work of God, you would fall off completely. And it is only by the grace of God that you receive anything from God. So true branches persevere. True branches remain. We have a doctrine. It is one of the the five doctrines of grace that are surround salvation and it is called the perseverance of the saints. It really means perseverance of the Savior, that he, will, that he will keep those whom he has chosen and those whom he has called and he will present them before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. However, there is an active involvement of the saint in this perseverance. There is, uh, there is the responding of the child to discipline. There is the growing in grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this really is the fruit. When there is, in the end, he who endures till the end will be saved. He's only enduring by the grace of God. And yet he has been mindful that he is a child of God. And he has been consciously living as a child of God. He has been, uh, in a sense, persevering because Christ is persevering. There is a real participation and an action 
involved in the believer. God does not save us and, and then um, say, okay, I will sanctify you when you're good or when I'm good and ready to sanctify you and you have no responsibilities for holy living. You just continue on and I will just kind of zap your brain and, um, and I, will, I will forcibly invade your life to change you. As a child of God, you have a heart that desires to be like Jesus. So in this persevering branch, the work, the power is God's. But there is a participation, there is an acknowledgement, there is a mutual um, communication between the vine and the branch. All right, let's look at probably the, the core of the passage here. It's a, in verse number five. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we hear, see here that true branches produce True branches produce fruit. You can find support for this all through the New Testament and the Old. But one good example is the parable of the sower. A lot of people, uh, they like to teach that that parable is about Jesus sowing seed. And when the seed sprouts up, well, that, that means salvation. And when the seed doesn't bear fruit and when the seed withers, that's loss of salvation. That's not true at all. Whether the seed sprouts up when someone immediately receives the gospel with joy, that is not evidence of salvation. Fruit is the evidence of salvation. There's got to be evidence that Christ, has, that God has actually done a work of regeneration in their, their hearts. And that is referred to as spiritual fruit. It might be the fruit of obedience. It might be the fruit of faithfulness in evangelism. It might be the fruit of, um, of worship, of worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. In fact, it's all of those things. Everything that is true of Christ, as far as his character, is reproduced in the Christian um, in, the, in the fruit of the spirit. So true branches produce that that branch, or pardon me, that seed that's sown in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, it doesn't bear fruit because it has no depth of root. Our, our faith is validated and vindicated by what comes out of our lives. James talks about this, doesn't he, when he, he says, faith without works is dead, being alone. We're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. There is evidence, there is proof of life. And in the end, God will be the judge of this. Now, don't get all discouraged. You're looking at your life and thinking, Wow, um, I see such limited growth. I see such limited fruit. I mean, I'm struggling here to 
identify one grape, you know, that, who's been there? <laughs> you know, it's, it seems you, you feel like a dry stick. And those times, the enemy can come along and try to tell you that you don't even belong. Um, what have you got to show for your faith in Jesus Christ? This is sometimes when you need to really lean on your brothers and sisters. Those who have watched you in your journey of faith, they've seen you when you were first born again. They can see fruit that maybe you can't see. And hopefully they're not going to make it up just to make you feel better. I think that that's possible as well. But the, the Holy Spirit, when He's disciplining you, He will not break you and He will not condemn you. God will not, God will not, God will not allow you as a believer to be under condemnation. You need to read Romans chapter 8 and believe that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And though the fruit of the Spirit may not be just multiplying and, and weighing down the vines, um, don't look at, in despair. Just think, uh, maybe the Lord is going to be doing some pruning. Maybe the Lord is going to increase my fruitfulness. And you can actually ask Him for that in that dry state. You can ask Him that you would bear fruit. All right. True branches produce fruit. False branches perish. That's the sixth point. If anyone does not abide in me, if anyone does not remain in me, this is one of those time will tell kind of things. By the way, it's not like we're biting our nails, waiting for the judgment to find out whether we're wheat or tares, you know, whether we belong or whether we're a true branch or a false branch. The Holy Spirit gives, has provisions. He bears witness we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs of God. He supplies to us assurances um, through our love for the brethren, for, for one thing, loving our brothers and sisters. Our, our love of the Word of God, our, um, our, our desire to pray and to read the Word of God and to, when we read it, to understand it and to know that it applies to us. All of those things are evidence that the Spirit of God is at work. So it's not, it's not as if the wheat and the tares, you know, the, the, or the, we live our whole lives thinking we're a true branch and then suddenly at the end, we find out that we're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. However, it is possible to be under that kind of delusion. It is possible to think that you have spiritual life just because you're, you've, got your whole, you've got your whole understanding in the wrong place. I am, you can say you're in Christ. You're attached to the vine. You're physically there. Um, you're blending in with all the other branches. But there's no fruit. This is the thing we need to look for. And you can't imitate spiritual fruit. It, it will be shown to be faulty, false fruit. So false branches perish. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. 
and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. That is the image given in Jeremiah 10 for faithless Israel. Cut off their branches and burn them. But even in that warning, that, uh, sorry, it's Jeremiah chapter 5. Let's, let's go there for a minute. I'm almost done here, so. Jeremiah chapter 5, and I think in verse 10. It's, uh, I think it's Judah, not Israel, it's talking about here, but the same family anyway. Um, Jeremiah 5, verse 10. Go up through her vine rows and destroy, but make not a full end. Strip away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Judah, Israel and the house of Judah have been utterly treacherous toward me, declares the Lord. Um, they have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us. How is that for false assurance? In the vine, but not in the vine, right? Uh, Nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. So even in this condemnation of Israel, his own people, he says, do not make a full end to them. We have this promise given in Genesis chapter 3 that in the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. We have this promise through the seed of Abraham, the holy seed, and we have the promise in Isaiah that the holy seed is still in the stump, and this points toward Jesus, the holy seed, the true vine, and all of those who trust in him are the remnant. So there is, there is hope even for faithless Israel, and there is hope for the whole world because Jesus Christ is the true vine. How do we get into this true vine? How do we find ourselves in the true vine? Well, and I, I know that I'm relying a bit on, on Psalm 80, but verse 18, it, it tells us here, Then shall we turn, not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. We don't know how we get in the vine. He gives us life. We have nothing to do with that. However, the means that God uses always is His Word. And the power, what empowers His Word is His Spirit. So we're going to see this in our last point here. Oh, got two more. Uh, number seven. True branches pray. Now this is where you've never seen a branch pray, have you? But these branches do. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So let's take a look at this picture. The vine is connected, the branch is connected and um, united with the vine. The life of the branch, the vine is flowing through the branch. There is fruit that is being produced. It is hard to stop to tell where the branch stops and or where the vine stops and the branch starts. There is a union or a unity between the branch, the, 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 the saint and the savior. The genetic material, if you will, the 
um, the essence of Christ is flowing through the vine. And therefore, with that type of unity with the Father, with that, or with Christ, with that understanding of who Christ is, the branch can ask for anything, and he will do it. You're feeling like you're not producing fruit, you know that the purpose of the vine, or that the goal of the vine is to get fruit out of his branches. You can ask for that. Ask for fruitfulness. The Lord will do it. Ask for boldness and evangelism. The Lord will do it. Ask for love for the brethren. The Lord will do it. If you are in him. If you abide in him. If you remain in him. Uh, and the key to this is the second phrase in the sentence here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. How do we develop the character of Christ? How do we develop, how do we understand this unity of Christ? It is his words. Peter said, where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus said in talking about him, about the bread, himself as the bread, he said, the, friend, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So, you want to know how to pray? You, you want the equipment that is necessary to pray? Study the word of God. Hide God's word in your heart. Um, feed on the life that is there. Get to know God through his word. Uh, let, let God's word percolate down to every molecule, every, every part of your body, every fiber, every sinew of your spiritual and even your physical body. There's, there's real nourishment here. And trust the Lord for everything. And when you are full of God's word, when you are full of his mind, the mind of Christ, you can ask whatever you will and he will do it. Why? Because your will is lined up with his will. You won't even think about asking for something silly. All right. Final point here. True branches are proven. There is a proof. It's all about proof of life. Verse 8. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is what is the ultimate evidence. This is what brings glory to God, is when our lives bear much fruit. Now, we could, uh, we could use this as kind of a rallying cry, and I could say, well, everybody go out and, and bear much fruit. Go out and try harder. That be a, would that be an encouraging message? It would work for a while. Maybe you might make it all the way down to the hall, or down to the fellowship hall, before that kind of wears off. But what if the message is, remain in Christ, abide in Christ, get to know Christ. 
receive the life that he gives. And the evidence of this will be fruit. The evidence of this will bring glory to God. The glory of God is not in a, in a branch that is somehow stuck to the vine. What brings glory to God is that there is a reproduction involved, that there is fruit being produced. There is evidence of life. So we can see from here that the, the sentence in the, in the middle here in verse 5, apart from me you can do nothing. This is basic to understanding the gospel. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. You are a dry, dead stick without Jesus. But you are a living, growing, fruit-producing branch when you trust in Jesus. And don't be discouraged if there's a little bit of pruning to make that fruit a little more evident or a lot more. This will bring glory to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this very simple and very eloquent illustration that Jesus gives of spiritual life and of himself as the true vine, as the only source of life. And I pray, Lord, that we can take these things to heart, that we can take the simplicity of this message of abiding, of remaining, of trusting in Christ. Lord, that we can truly, when we trust in you, we can ask you whatever we will, and you will do it. This is, praying is just the expression of the fact that we are dependent branches, and that we are depending upon you that we can produce fruit. Thank you, Lord Father, for your faithfulness as the vine dresser. Thank you for planting the true vine. I thank you that through him we have life. And I pray that we would experience all that that life is. Lord, that, that, that as the last uh, part of this section of scripture that we read, that our joy may be full as we keep our commandments in response to, keep your commandments in response to what you have done. Pray these things in Jesus' name. All right, so we are dismissed now for supper. Come on, bless you.